Last Sunday was Commitment Sunday. And so we're so grateful for so many of you who made those commitments. As Jason said, it was awesome to not only see those commitment cards come in, but also just to hear the stories of the way that God was working in our hearts in that process. It was awesome. And, you know, even now we don't, we don't have like totals. We don't have all the numbers we can share yet. Our hope is that we'll have those uh, by November 21st to share with you. But we do have a few things to celebrate right now. One of those uh, being that 256 uh, households committed to be a part of the Make Him Known initiative uh, last week. So 256, that's a pretty big deal. Of those 256, 72 of those households were first-time givers, people who had never given uh, here at UBC before. And of all of those, uh, 94% of them all reflected an increase in the regular giving that they gave. Uh, And so those three things are significant for us as a church, that there's that many households, that many people who are willing to jump in and say, hey, we want to be a part of this. Because it's, as Jason said many times throughout these last 10 weeks, it's not about us building a structure. It's about our church. That's why we like the whole one fund thing, because it's actually about our church being and making disciples. And we're excited to do that in many different ways. Uh, so grateful for you guys as a church for being generous, loving, uh, committed people who are willing to jump in on this. And those, like I said, those things are worth celebrating. So can we just kind of give a, a round of applause as a way to thank each other and say we acknowledge it together? Yeah, that's great. Uh, we know some of you are still working through your commitments and that's okay. Uh, there's commitment cards in front of you today. If you want to take one of those today, you can fill that out and put it in the black boxes on your way out. You can take it home, bring it, bring it back anytime this week. Uh, you can bring it back to the staff office anytime this week, Uh, or you can go on our website, ubcbeavercreek.com slash make him known. And there's a digital card there that you can fill out as well. And our, Jason said it on the video, but our goal is just to see a hundred percent of us doing a hundred percent of what God has asked us to do. And so we, we are just excited to see whatever, whatever that leads to, whatever the Lord has for us there. So um, if you, uh, if, you, if you remember, Jason talked about December 5th. That's kind of our first Big Give Sunday. Big Give Sunday meaning it's the first time that we're asking you to give part of that commitment. So on December 5th, come ready to give whatever the Lord is leading you to give as that first fruits offering uh, towards this commitment. We're excited to see. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll be blown away by what the Lord does even that very first Sunday on December 5th. So we're looking forward to that. Um, this week, we're actually going to be starting a two-week kind of mini-series. And this mini-series is uh, on orphans and widows. And it's going to be exactly what it sounds like. Talking about the church's call to care for orphans and widows. That comes from James 1.27. James 1.27 says, pure and, genuine, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. So as we take these two weeks to do this, today we're focusing on the topic of orphans and what the church's involvement with orphans is. And, you know, the reason why we're doing that today is because this is, around the world, this is Orphan Sunday. And what Orphan Sunday is, Orphan Sunday is a time when churches all over the world are banding together to say, hey, there's a crisis going on in the world today, and we as the church have a role in that. And so, to be honest, I hate the name Orphan Sunday. I feel like they could have picked a thousand cooler names than Orphan Sunday. But aside from that, I hate the fact that it has to exist. That a day like this even has to exist at all. I hate it. But it exists because there really is a crisis for vulnerable children all over the world. And it exists because sadly, a lot of times the church, we've forgotten our role in it. 
So that's what we're doing today is we're trying to expose that crisis. And we're trying to say, church, we have a part to play. And maybe you're here today and you're kind of wondering, when you say orphan care crisis, orphan crisis, what does that look like? Well, it's important for you to know that in the world, there are nearly 18 million children who are parentless. No parents. That's roughly, that's, the, that's about the same as the entire population of all of Ohio and Indiana. So imagine all of Ohio and Indiana being just parentless children. That's what's happening in the world today. It's estimated that there's up to seven to eight million more children who are undocumented because they're either living on the streets or permanently institutionalized, but they're also parentless children. But here in the U.S. even, that's the world here in the U.S. We have the foster system, and the foster system is our way of trying to care for those needs when they arise. And it's a broken system, and it doesn't work perfectly, but it's our country's way of trying to address that. And here in the U.S., there are nearly 430,000 children living in foster care here in the United States. About 107,000 of those children are in the adoption process, so roughly 20% of those kids are somewhere in an adoption process, but that means 80% of those kids in our foster system are not. And the most staggering number to me is the fact that nearly 30,000 children age out of our foster system every year. That means they've been foster children up until the point where they are 18 and they're no longer allowed to be foster children anymore. And they are sent out into adulthood, never having known established family. Something to think about and consider, especially the next time that maybe you're prone to complain about the younger generation. Think about the fact that 30,000 of them are stepping into adulthood, never having had anyone teach them what an adult actually is. Never having had anyone teach them how to be a responsible adult. That's a lot. But again, let's bring it even closer. Here in Ohio, here in Ohio, there are 15,000 children in our foster system. And just in our area, the Miami Valley, so the Greene County and Montgomery County, right here where we live, our neighborhoods, there are 1,500 children in foster care right here. That number is going up every year, but that's a lot. But even as I say those numbers, it's really, it's, you know, there's a disconnect. And there's a disconnect a lot of times because we see them as, like, it's, it's a problem. And that's an issue that needs to be dealt with. That's a thing that needs to be handled. And the hard part is we've got to remember this, this. It's not just a problem. It's not just an issue. These are people. All of these big numbers, all, this are, these are people. And until we see them as people, we'll see no need for action. You know, in my family, uh, we're crazy. We have five children. Uh, we have five children. And if you've been around here any, number of time, any, any amount of time at all, my kids bring the noise everywhere they go. Uh, my children are loud and crazy. But of my five children, three of them would have been part of those numbers that I just read. The Lord allowed my wife and I to be able to pursue adoption from Ethiopia so our middle son came home from Ethiopia. And then the Lord allowed us to be a part of the foster system right here in Greene County. And we fostered for a while and were able to adopt our, our fourth and fifth children through the foster system. And you know, my kids aren't numbers. 
My kids are people. My kids have names and their names are Silas and Ellie and Walker. And they are more than just an issue. They're awesome. They've changed my life forever. And to be honest, they've changed this church. They've made an impact on all of you, whether you noticed it or not. Not just in your eardrums. (laughs) Because they're people, and the Lord used them when he used them in my life. He actually showed me a lot more about who he was. And in the process of bringing them into my life, he actually showed me a lot more about who I was and who I am. And that's actually part of why I want to talk about this with you guys today is that Orphan care is not so much a thing or a list of things to do. Orphan care is actually an identity issue for believers. It's part of who we are. And that's what I want to talk to us about today is actually learning a little bit more about who God is and who we are. So let's talk about orphan care through the lens of identity. And let's do that with Galatians 4 to set the pace for us. Galatians 4 verses 3 through 7. That's where we're going to be today. As you turn there, when you get there, you're welcome to stand with us. We're going to read it out loud together. But Galatians 4, 3 through 7, it says this. You can stand. It's okay. I didn't make that super clear. Sorry about that. Galatians 4, 3 through 7 says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's a beautiful passage, but this passage tells us a lot about who God is and a lot about who we are. So let's dig into that together. You guys can have a seat. First, what does this passage tell us about who God is? Right in verse four, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So if God has a son, then that means God is a father. God is a father. That's the first thing we see about him. See, when you think of God, what comes to mind? Do you see like the the white bearded guy sitting on the cloud, maybe the lightning bolt in his hand? That's Zeus. (laughs) Do you see like a nice guy who just goes around giving out gifts? That's Santa Claus. Or when you think about God, do you see family? Because God says he's a father. God is family. In fact, God was father and son and spirit well before any of us were here to acknowledge it. See, God has always been about family because he's a father. So the first thing we see about God is that he's a father. But we also see, if you go further in four and five, it says, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So this father, this God who is a father is also a God who is a redeemer. It says that God the son stepped in to redeem So he stepped into our slavery and bought us out of it. Did you know that's actually what redeem means? Redeem means to step into someone else's debt and assume that debt for yourself, setting them free from it. That's what it means to redeem. 
And it says here that God is a redeemer stepping into our debt, the burden that we carried being people who lived under the law. He stepped into that and he subjected himself to that very same oppressive system, subjected himself to that very same captivity. And he had to walk through the world of sin just like us. And he took that full debt on himself and he paid it in full one time, once and for all. Why? Because he's a redeemer. That's who God is. So this father God and this redeemer God, it also says in verse five, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So this father God and redeemer God is also an adopter. He's an adopter. He didn't just pay it in full. He invited us to be a part of his family. Do you ever think about the significance of that? Already God is doing what we have not earned and don't deserve by covering our sin. Him sending Jesus to die on the cross in place of us and take our burden of sin, that's already an amazing gift that none of us could have ever earned. And I hope even the thought of that just messes with your heart today to remember that you were, a God, that you were somebody who God paid for and covered. But he didn't just do that. See, the God who set you free is also the God who offers you adoption. You know, I, I, we, my wife and I, we have some friends who are missionaries. And for a long time, what they did as missionaries, their role was to go and follow other missionaries and capture their stories, writing and videoing their stories and then sending them back so that their stories could be told without those missionaries having to take all this time to do it themselves and having to take all this energy and all that to do it themselves. So they, that was their role. And they told us the story about how they were following this group of missionaries in Moldova. And what this group of missionaries in Moldova did is they gathered all these missionaries who were there and all these Christians who were there and they pooled their resources and they raised funds and they went crazy trying to get all this money as missionaries and as Christians and they would go in to these local brothels where women and children were being sold as sex slaves. And these missionaries and these Christians would go into these brothels and they would purchase these women and these children. All those resources, all those things that they pulled together, they would use to purchase these women and children. And instead of using them for their own deviant behavior like everyone else before them, when they left, they said, your debt is paid, you're free. And they set these women and children free. Already, you know, like the tears get going, you know, you start welling up just thinking about that, that experience for them. Many of them had families and these missionaries and these Christians helped them reconnect with those families, but there's many of them who didn't. And those missionaries and those Christians said, come be part of our family. And they welcomed them into their homes. These people who just before this were sex slaves, now all of a sudden were out of that slavery, set free and welcomed home into a family. It's amazing. Put yourself in their shoes and think about how crazy that would feel. Christian, that's our story. We were slaves to our sin. And God not only set us free from it, but welcomed us home into his family because he's an adopter. That's what he does. Steps into our mess, takes that mess upon himself and then says, I love you. 
Let's be family. That's what this father, redeemer, adopter God does. And verse six is really cool in this passage because verse six actually says that, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. When you read that verse, you might read it like it's just part of a progression. But the language Abba, Father is really cool there because Abba is the closest language we have to, to what we would say is like daddy or the way a kid kind of like expresses that dependence and that, you know, that just that feeling that a kid has towards their dad when they say, dad, daddy, that's Abba. And isn't it interesting that it doesn't say we're the ones crying Abba. It says the spirit is crying Abba. The spirit in us is crying Abba for us. Why is that? Because orphans don't know what to do with a father. Orphans don't know what father means. Orphans don't know how to receive love from a father. They don't know to count on a father. They don't know that that father plans to love them forever and keep them and not go anywhere and to actually have their best in mind. They don't know that. They haven't experienced that. You know, when my son first came home, uh, we spent some time working through what we realized was him not knowing anything other than in and out nannies in an orphanage. Because then my wife and I were there as consistent people trying to care for him regularly and it took a long time of him getting used to us being consistent parents. It took a long time. This passage says that that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. The Holy Spirit is crying, Abba, Father, why? To show us, hey, you have a dad and that dad loves you and that dad cares for you and you can trust in him. He's a good dad. He's one who's not going anywhere and he's going to be there forever and he is that dad who has welcomed you into his family and you can trust him. That's what the spirit does. So this, this adopter dad also sends us his spirit so we even know what to do with our adoption. That's the coolest thing about the way God works. He covers every base. Because for those of us who have been redeemed and we're going, okay, I've been saved, what do we do now? <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, here's how it works. Here's what you do. This is who you can trust. It's awesome. He teaches us what a father is so we know how to relate to him because he's a good father, he's a good redeemer, and he's a good adopter. Isn't that a great God? Don't you think so? That's a great God. That's a God worth worshiping. That's a God worth singing and shouting. It's a God worth far more than that. It's a God worth living our whole lives for. But this passage also tells us a lot about who we are too. Just to reread it, it says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this passage actually tells us kind of a little bit about who we were and who we are. So let's look at it through that lens. So it says first that we were under the law. That's who we were. And we talked a little bit about that already, but that law, that system of law that was there, 
That we, we learn about it in the New Testament, that the law was set up, why? To show us that we need a savior. That's what the law was there for. All along, to reveal that what we needed was God to do something that we couldn't. That's what the law was for. And so there we were stuck under this system and it caused, caused God's people, it caused people in general just to live to try to measure up, to live to climb the ladder, to try to tip the scales in the good direction. And maybe some of you guys walked in here doing the exact same thing today. Maybe you're sitting here in a church service hoping that today will maybe put another check mark in the good category for you. That maybe this might make God a little happier with you than he was yesterday. And I'm here to tell you that because God is a redeemer, there is no ladder to climb. Because God is a redeemer, there's no scale to tip because he covered the full debt of your sin. And he offered you full covering and full adoption. So we were under the law, but now we are redeemed. Believer, you are not stuck in that old slavery. You are redeemed. But it also says that we were orphans. It talks about how we were separated and cut off and that he came and offered adoption as sons. So we were orphans, but now, Christian, we are adopted. Never again to be an orphan. Always to be adopted into his family. Because adoption means a new home. And adoption means a new name. When we had the opportunity to adopt the three, our three children, three of those three children became wings that day. And they will be wings for the rest of their life. In case we don't know each other, my last name is Wing. <laughs> if you're wondering why I'm saying that. Uh, but that day, they took on my name. Christian, do you realize that when you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus became your Savior and your Lord, do you realize that you got his name? Your name is now, your first name is now in Christ. So I am in Christ, Phil. Everything about me is in Christ. I am covered. Why? Because I am adopted and I have a new identity in him. And because I'm adopted, I'm part of his family and I get to be part of his kingdom. That's actually the third thing it tells us that we were slaves but now we're heirs to a kingdom. And heirs is such a funny word to me. I don't use that ever. I think of like, I'm guessing the only people who do it are people who live uh, like in England in the 1800s, talking about heirs to the throne and things like that. I don't ever think about the word heir. But Galatians tells me that in Christ, I'm an heir to the kingdom. And what is an heir? What does an heir do? See, heirs are not slaves. Heirs are not stuck under the system. Heirs are part of the kingdom. Not just part of the kingdom. They're receiving the kingdom. That means we're not slaves, we're heirs. So we receive a hope and a future because our father, redeemer, adopter God has chosen to be that good to us and allow us to be heirs in his kingdom, part of what he does. So what do heirs do? What do we get to do then? When it says in verse seven, you're not a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, what do we get to do? 
First of all, we get to leave behind our slavery. That sounds pretty great. We don't have to function in this measure up manner anymore. We don't have to function in this, let me just try to be good enough. Uh Uh-oh, I hope he didn't see that thing I did. We don't have to function there anymore. We don't want to live by that slavery. Why? Because we know he fully measured up for us. He was the perfect covering for us. But we also don't have to live in fear anymore. Why? Because our dad's in front of us. Our father's in front of us. We can live boldly because we follow him. And it will be hard to make it clear just because dad's in front of us doesn't mean it doesn't, it just stops being hard. But we don't have to be afraid of hard because our father's there. Because we're covered. And we're no longer settling for the worthless things anymore. We can risk and sacrifice. Why? Because we know that God will supply everything we need. That's what a father, redeemer, adopter does. So we can leave behind that slavery, but also we get to live like heirs. And how do heirs live? Well, they live to receive and continue the kingdom. That's what heirs to a kingdom do. They not only receive it, they get to continue it. So we, we get to live as actual heirs. So his kingdom is our kingdom. What he does, we get to do. That's actually why I believe that orphan care is in the heart of every believer. Because the kingdom we were redeemed into is the kingdom of a father, redeemer, adopter God. And he put that in the hearts of every one of us because his spirit is in us, teaching us what it means to live in this kingdom. It's in us. See, each step toward the vulnerable child, each step toward the broken and the lonely and the hurting, each step toward them will feel more natural than the one before it because it's in us to do it. It mimics what he has done for us. And we are the family of an orphan-loving, hurt-healing, brokenness-made-beautiful God. So as heirs in that kingdom, we get to love the orphan and the lonely and the hurting and the broken as well. Because he cares for them, we get to care for them. Because God put it in us to care for them. So maybe right now, it would be helpful to not just hear it from a theological point, but to actually see it with some skin on. So I'm going to invite some friends up here on stage. These are faces that you're probably familiar with. I'm going to invite Rob and Tiffany Slothman up here and Nathan and Amanda Warden. These are people that you just see around here all the time. These are people, these are normal UBC folks. And we're going to welcome up. We're going to hear a little bit about this perspective through their lens, how God has shown them what it means to love and care for the orphan and how it has shaped and changed them. So Rob and Tiffany Slothman, uh, you you guys know about six months ago, almost exactly six months ago, Rob came on staff uh, helping direct our student ministries here. And Rob and Tiffany have been faithfully serving our students for six months uh, and plugging in in multiple other ways as well. Uh, Nathan and Amanda Warden have been at UBC for three and a half years. You see them often right up here because they're in the band, uh, as well as on our safety team and our tech team and helping with our homeschool families and all kinds of stuff. So these are four faces that are around UBC all the time. Uh, And they're just normal people here at church, but God has called each of them to specific steps into this 
Uh, and we just want to hear a little bit about that from them. So Rob and Tiffany, tell us a little bit about how God led you into foster care, what kind of foster care or what kind of uh, orphan care he's called you into as well as how you got there. She told me to. <laughs> uh, truthfully, truthfully, though, like uh, years ago, we read this book, Radical, by David Platt. A whole chapter in there is just about caring for the orphans and the widows. And, you know, we had family members that were foster parents as well. And that kind of like probed us a little bit, too. But uh, I mean, honestly, like Tiffany was like the driving force in that. Um, she really thought we should do it, and I agreed. And but I had all the, the I had all the reasons why we shouldn't do it yet. Like our we had a two bedroom house, and we already had two kids, and they're sharing a room. We didn't have any room, and our car wasn't big enough. There's no way we could fit another car seat. And like uh, she heard my, you know, my reasons. She said, "You're right. I'm gonna pray about it." And uh, so she did, right? And uh, two weeks later, I came home from lunch, and she says, you're not going to believe it. I measured our room. I rearranged the kids' room, and we have two inches to spare. We can fit a crib. And I said, great. <laughs> a couple days later, like, well, we went, ran some errands, came back in our perfectly fine SUV, and smoke just started billowing out of it. And we got a minivan. <laughs> and uh, I remember just saying, God, I, I give up. Obviously, obviously, you want us to do this. I give up. I'm in. Don't burn the house down. <laughs> Like, we'll, do it. we'll do it. Tiffany didn't tell you what she was pouring into the SUV uh, before it started <laughs> No, smoking, she but... didn't, but it worked. It worked. <laughs> oh, awesome. So that's part of how the Lord called you guys into foster care. So Nathan and Amanda, tell us a little bit about how you guys are involved and how God got you to that. Sure. So we have um, been blessed with four children, and the youngest uh, we uh, brought home through international adoption in China. And I'll let Nathan tell you how that came about. Yeah, we... Uh... Even before, we got married pretty young, but even before we were married, um, you know, we were just young believers reading the scriptures, trying to understand. And, and uh, it's funny because there's, um, <laughs> there's this theme that kind of runs through the scriptures of um, caring for those, um, the helpless or the, or the oppressed and in general, and in particular, widows and orphans. And it's just repeated over and over. You see it in the prophets. You see it in Christ's teachings. You see it in uh, the teachings of the apostles. And I just remember um, one day, just I don't even remember which which verse I'm which I don't even remember what book I'm reading in. But it came up, and I just remember being impacted by it. Like, wow, what like what am I doing? I'm doing nothing to take care of widows and orphans. So I just, you know, made that commitment then that I was going to obey the Lord, whatever that meant. And then years later, married, kids, um, you know, God started to bless us with uh, financial resources. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, we can, we could adopt. Like, why not, right? And, uh, <clears throat> and God really started pressing it on our hearts. And then I was doing a lot of business in China at the time. And uh, it, if you're ever exposed to... Um, you know what's going on to to orphans in China. It's uh, it's ter it's terrible, and uh, so, you know I, I just remember thinking, well, here's something I I can do. So what, why why would I resist? And God really laid it on our hearts, and and uh, and then began opening doors for us. Yeah, right on. See, Lord calls in different ways, whether it be through you know burdens in specific ways or just kind of revealing through Scripture, but. Curious from both of you guys, like Nathan and Amanda, I guess let's start with you. Like how, how has it, how has God taught you through that? What is, how has he changed your family? How has he impacted you guys through that process? Yeah, you know, it's funny because <laughs> there's all kinds of excuses you'll have like, well, and, and, and when you go through this process, especially um, 
the process we went through, you have to think about all the things that you can be okay, like what kind of burden is this going to put on me, you know, and you think about everything, right? You, you come up with every possible excuse and, and even though, you know, we had accepted that the Lord had financially um, provided for us in a way that we thought we could do it, it became really clear really quick. We absolutely could not do it on our own. And, that, and so we, we thought we were totally capable and independent and, you know, able to able to do this on our own. And, and God really just started teaching us the lesson that this is not just for you. <laughs> this is this is something that he gave um, commanded to the church and to and to all people. It's it's not uh, it, it's not arbitrary. It's not some arbitrary command. It's just an obvious truth that we need to be caring for those who are unable to care for themselves. Uh, just for me, it grew my faith a lot. I mean, both of us um, drew us together. We we hit bumps along the way. Uh, it was a very long process. It was two and a half years from the time we started till we traveled to China. Um, and like you said, we just realized our dependence on the body of Christ to, um, to be there for us when there were um, diagnoses we didn't know about, you know, both in our adopted child and biological children. And um, we, we could not have survived without the family of, of God. Yeah, right on. So it's when God welcomes us into his family through adoption, it's not just the gift of us being able to be his kid, but us being a part of his family and just how he might use that in our lives is pretty incredible too. Rob and Tiffany, same question for you guys. You know, what, what is it, how has God taught you through this? How has he shaped your family? What has that done for you guys through the foster care process? Um, for me, the, the biggest thing has been um, just realizing how dependent on God you have to be to, to do orphan care and foster care. Um, or adopting in foster care. Um, just with foster care, you don't, you know, get matched with a kid and then they stay with you for forever all the time. And we've said goodbye to, um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't cry during the last service. <laughs> um, we've said goodbye to seven kids. Um, but the, the healing that has taken place in between every time we've said goodbye and then said hi to a new one has just been it's miraculous and there's um just knowing that if god god called us to do this and i just see how he has held us up the whole way i couldn't we couldn't do what we do without god's um just provision healing um we now have number eight and nine in our home one staying one looks i, I don't know it changes every other day <laughs> um so just if God calls you to do something, he's going to provide you with the strength, the grit, the, mm -hmm. the healing that needs to take place to be able to continue to, to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I continually hear or responses from people like, that's so awesome that you do this. I could never do that. I could never love a kid knowing that I would have to give him back. Or, well, and one of the things I've learned just over the years in doing this is like, I just want to say to you, yes, you can't like you, you can do this. Like it makes no sense whatsoever, but you can do it. And what we've seen every time is like, it's, there's this delicate balance of loving so hard. And then the love changes when you say goodbye, but man, you get to experience this view of God that you just don't see any other way because man, so many times we live our life, we make mistakes, we sin, we make 
all kinds of dumb decisions at times, and God like still loves us. And in this aspect, like it's this aspect that we learn of God's love in these kids, like that just deepens our big view of God. Like he may we had two inches to spare, like fitting that crib in the room with two other kids. And like God may call you to give up those two inches as yeah. well and do it because yeah. you can do it. Yeah, that's good. That's a, it's especially a good way to kind of wrap that up because like I said, these are normal UBC folks. They're not superheroes and they're not super Christians. They would be the first ones to tell you uh, they've had plenty of days probably saying, Lord, we can't do this. <laughs> you know, they've probably had plenty of days saying, uh, why is this so hard? Uh, many of you who have who walked through some of those processes with me, there were many times where I was like, Lord, did you trick me? You know, uh, you called me to this, but then it's a lot harder than I expected. What's going on? But what Tiffany said there is so important when she said that God always provides exactly what you need, even for your own healing. So you're, you're not only helping provide something that the kids need, but you're also, the Lord is also providing exactly what you need because again, he's, a father, redeemer, adopter, God who cares. So thank you guys so much for sharing. You guys let them know we're grateful for them sharing this morning. So the whole point in having them up here to share is just to kind of break some of the mystery. There tends to be tons of mystery surrounding orphan care. And I just wanted to break some of that because there's all these misconceptions like orphan care is just adoption or foster care. But the truth is often, orphan care is multifaceted. There's adopting and fostering, but there's also mentoring and sponsoring and providing and serving and visiting, encouraging. And it's also being support systems for the people who are doing all of those things too. Orphan care is very multifaceted. We hear orphan care is for rich people. Only rich people can adopt. And adoption can be expensive. But there are tax credits and grants and employee benefits. There's all kinds of people who would want to come around and support and help you in that process. When my family pursued our first adoption, it was $25,000. And at that time, I made $30,000 a year. And the Lord provided every single thing that we needed. My wife and I paid about three dollars to $5,000 out of our own pocket because the Lord just came through. But that's adoption, and international adoption can be expensive. But, you know, foster care is free. And in most cases, they'll pay you. Mentoring is free. Maybe the cost of an ice cream cone here and there. Sponsoring costs less than your cable bill. Chances are it costs less than your weekly coffee visits. So it's not just for rich people. We always hear that orphan care is just for the qualified. Like, I've got no training. Well, guess what? No one had training when they started this. Everyone has to be trained. That's the beautiful part about agencies and people who help that they walk with you through all these steps. You don't adopt blindly. You have classes and all kinds of things that you go through. You don't mentor blindly. They teach you how to do it. That's, every step, there's training. We always, always hear like, I'm, I'm single. I can't do that. Well, hardly any orphan care organization requires marriage. Most are open to single parents, especially the foster system and the mentoring agencies. In this church, there are multiple single women who have both fostered and adopted. In this church, there are many single men who have mentored and went on mission trips to serve orphans. We oftentimes hear, I'm too old or I'm too young. Most orphan care missions teams have both kids and senior adults on them. Mentoring can be anyone over the age of 18. For adoption, you have to, you, most cases, you have to be 25, but in fostering, you only have to be 21. 
See, it's not just for a certain age either. So it's not just for these certain qualifications. Oftentimes we hear orphan care is too big. I can't make an impact. Well, when I was saying those numbers earlier, did you catch that between 18 million parentless kids and 17, seven to eight million uh, parentless who are, who are undocumented? So roughly 25 million parentless kids in the world. Do you know that in America, there are 250 million people who claim to be Christians? So if one out of 10 American Christians adopted, there would be no parentless children in the entire world. American Christians can change the orphan care crisis for the whole world. So it's big, but it's not impossible. And ask any person in this room who was adopted or fostered or mentored or served in some way when they were fatherless. Ask them if it made an impact. I guarantee you they'll say yes. So it's big, but you can make a dent. And the last thing I'll say about this is that a lot of times we just hear that orphan care is not my calling. And just as we said at the very beginning, every one of us, Every believer was given James 1.27. That caring for orphans and widows in their distress, that's the pure religion that God's looking for. So believer, you don't have to wait for a calling when it's already given as a command. And believer, you don't have to wait for a calling when it was already built into your character. It's not some magic writing in the sky that you need to wait on. Take a step toward the orphan, it'll feel more natural than the one before it. And our hope is that we as a church, as UBC, we want to make him known mercifully and missionally and generationally. We want to do those things as a church. So UBC is we're we're doing Operation Christmas Child, like Lindsay talked about earlier. We're partnering with a Child's Hope International, which is helping provide for the needs of orphans all over the world. We are making partnerships with local adoption agencies. And we are going to begin the process of trying to network together families and individuals here in our church who want to pursue this and who just need help and want to figure out ways to do it. So we want to do that as a church. And our prayer is for us that we would be a church who leaves behind our slavery, who understands what it means to be an heir in the kingdom, and we follow the Lord forward. I'm going to invite the band forward. They're going to come and just lead us in a last song. But this is just our time for us to reflect and respond and to consider exactly what the Lord might want from us in this process and how he might want to work in our hearts to take a step toward the orphan, to fulfill the call to love orphans and widows in their distress. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are good. Thank you that you loved us before we could even consider the idea of loving you. Lord, thank you that you are a father and redeemer and adopter and that each believer in this room has been able to receive that from you. And God, I pray that you would help us as recipients of that to be conduits of that, that we would carry forward and that what you've done in us, Lord, that you would do through us. So Lord, I pray that you would give people boldness today to take steps forward, give people boldness today to trust that where you lead will be good. And God, I pray that you would dispel fear Lord, help us get rid of our old shackles of slavery and to live as heirs in the kingdom of a God who seeks us out and loves us even when we are separated and lonely and broken and all of our weapons are aimed at you. You still sought us out and you still loved us and cared for us. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to be a church that reflects that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.